This is Transparency, a podcast by Gender Dysphoria Alliance, hosted by Aaron Kimberly and Aaron Terrell. Each week we'll be joined by people who have personal or professional experience with gender dysphoria and physical transition. We'll also discuss how our trans experiences relate to the concept of gender identity. Join us for a compassionate yet heterodox approach to the question of trans. Laura Hobbs is a self-described gay GP, that's G-A-Y-G-P, with a meta-attraction to men. Having once been a controversial and radical trans activist, she has learned that self-awareness and acceptance, not the activist narrative, has greatly improved her overall mental health. Here's our conversation with Laura. All right. Welcome back to Transparency, everybody. Uh, I am Aaron Terrell, joined as always by Aaron Kimberly, and we have Laura Hobbs with us today, going to tell her story. So thank you very much for being here, Laura. Thank you for having me. Um, so some of you know me as Laura Hobbs, some know me as CDG or call me D-Girl. Um, no, I'm proud of getting my name and everything, my actual name changed and everything. So um, a, a while back, but I decided to just go with my actual name um, just so people can kind of know me more personally. So that's why I put my actual name in my YouTube channel and on Twitter, because um, I'm more than just the moniker CDG. I'm, I'm Laura Hobbs. There's, I have this whole interesting backstory and everything that I'm sure you're excited to hear about. and. Um, I want to let people into my personal life. I want people to know the real me. We'll yeah, link we'll link it. to your channel as well in the liner notes so people can check out your channel. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank yeah. you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I recently kind of came back to the internet. I left for about a month. And um, this is a perfect time for me to come on to your show and talk about things. Yeah, yeah. We want uh, you. You have uh, you. You say you've cured your dysphoria, which is which is really something like I think fascinating to talk about. But before we get there, can we kind of like kind of just go through it kind of chronologically in your life, like you know, you yeah. know early experiences of gender dysphoria, deciding mm -hmm. to transition, kind of you know, getting into the the the, the trans community. Like you were a you were a TRA. Like I, I mean, I was I was TRA light. I think for a little while, but yeah. um, and then you kind of went went all turfy as you say like I'll, yeah I had, I'll stop telling the story and hand it over to you yeah. if you want to just kind of kind of walk us through it chronologically yeah I'm sure and like you kind of like where we're at right now the the interesting thing is my cure to dysphoria is basically um breaking it down like seeing it as this trap of the mind it's this fake thing that you can kind of break down like you can break it apart and then it's it's like it's not even real or maybe it was never real but the pain of dysphoria, the suffering is very real and something I went through most of my life. It was just the beginning of this year that I finally cured my dysphoria. Um, so when I was very young, um, something that I more recently accepted as being AGP, autogynephilia, um, I, it's like the hardest thing, I think, for a lot of trans people to accept because um, a lot of trans women have a hard time accepting it because the textbook definitions being aroused by the thought of oneself or the image of oneself as a woman that can manifest in so many things that aren't just like brazenly blatantly like you look in the mirror and you have a euphoria boner it's not that simple it could be um like one time getting aroused cross-dressed when you're very young that really 
like one little tiny little embarrassing thing is kind of like a tell that you're AGP. It's not necessarily so on the surface all the time, like you see with the fetishists that um, that bother all of us, like uh, really just kind of give us a, a bad name and embarrassing and just gross people. Um, that's not what AGP is. I would argue that the majority of trans women are AGP. For me, that having the thing I had a hard time accepting with that is because I just didn't really remember having this whole like fetish about myself being a woman. It was kind of more what I realized is I had HGP very young, and they've observed HGP in kids as young as um, as toddlers. So I thought really hard, remembered very faint memories of arousal of the thought of becoming a girl. That was very young and was very embarrassing right away. So just like I would get embarrassed, like if I buy, if I have for my birthday, I'd ask for girl toys. And one year I was in a Wendy's unwrapping a girl toy and, and there was parent staring at me. Um, just like, so I knew being aroused at the thought of myself becoming a girl was wrong. Trained myself not to think that way train myself actually try to hide my you know desire to become a girl and when I was a kid I would just I tried to force myself to be like the boys even though I didn't really like it I just didn't want to get beat up I didn't want to be bullied I didn't want to be targeted um and I developed a meta attraction and that kind of is how I sorted that that auto arousal was I started finding my male friends attractive um, and it was just kind of like, and then I was afraid of the secret that I'm gay, that I'm into boys. And that was kind of what I remember more, right? So I don't necessarily remember prior to the meta, meta attraction. And I think that there's a lot of AGPs that it's like you, you learn very early on these coping mechanisms. Um, and some people do a little better than others. Some people hold on to them and that's why you see them displaying some, you can have a trans person who looks a little more well-adjusted than like Chris Chan or something, but they're still saying these things. They still have these kinds of like delusions that they get a period, stuff like that. That's physiological AGP. And then there's also different kinds of AGP. And so that's not one that I fall under, never had any delusions about like what body bodily functions I have. Um, for me, it was kind of more the behavioral wanting to see myself as a, as a woman, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily something that turned me on and gave me an erection kind of arousal directly. That was more when I didn't really understand what arousal was. It's like very, very little, you know, when I, when I had those auto arousal feelings, when I got older, it kind of manifests itself in like, I dress up sexy and I'm thinking about getting, you know, fucked. And, and I cuss, I'm sorry if I can't. That's fine, yeah. I do um, and, and I thought, turn me on, right? And so it's it, it finds a way to manifest itself in a way that's more acceptable for, for those who are AGP transsexuals that you know, more likely to successfully transition, get something out of it during dysphoria. A lot of AGP transsexuals um, are kind of asexual, don't really want to have the arousal. And for a lot of AGPs, that's kind of the goal with going on HRT and getting surgery is to get rid of that 
So I think the difference between like a fetishistic AGP and like a transsexual AGP is the transsexual AGP generally wants to be, wants to change, wants to be more adapted to society. Whereas the fetishist, once the euphoria of owners are gone, their fun is gone. So that's why they tend to detransition and such. So when I was very young, I had, you know, had developed this this meta attraction. I'm, you know, getting into my like just like into like just before my teenagers. And then when I was in my early teenagers, I'm having dreams about, you know, kissing my guy friends and stuff like that. And it's just like this big embarrassing secret I got with all this closet gay, right? And um that just didn't go away. And then like even when I started, so I, I'd have dysphoria too, right? The dysphoria came with it right away so when i was little and i felt dysphoria over you know seeing myself as a boy and not wanting that and feeling like it's just this unattainable thing for me to be a girl i have i'd be seen as this disgusting fetishist this pervert and all this stuff and and this is back in the 90s in the midwest too so i was really afraid of people thinking i'm gay right more than anything um that was kind of like ingrained in me, that fear of being outed being gay and getting, you know, gay bashed. Um, it it followed me so much that like even when I, I when I finally started transitioning, it was like I was kind of like trying to find approval from somebody, trying to be like, okay, could this be a possibility for me? And I would kind of I would make comments, I would joke, I would kind of like talking about like trans women and it would be more in my like just daily speech with people and that's when somebody said to me you know you should go gay that would suit you and I was like well I'm not gay I'm not into guys because I was like you know didn't want people to know and um uh you know she's like oh you can you can uh, you should be trans and you can be with women and be trans and I'm like kind of like I was waiting for someone to say that and I was like, okay, so that's where I started. It was in about 2008, I think. And so I went, I transitioned. I How old were you did, uh, in 2008? I was 21 okay. at okay. the time. Okay. So I went, I got, um, I started dressing as as, um, as, as a chick. I, I think it was a little before 21 that I started. I think it was like a couple of years before I got HRT. So I think I was like around like 19 or something actually when I started coming out to my friend, 18 or 19 when I came out to my friends. Um, but I didn't want them to think I'm gay. So told them all, now this is before transbian had the connotation it has today. I went around and I was identifying as a transbian. Um, and I would have been down to sleep with, you know, other trans women, but um, the thing is, I, it's just still like, even up until that point, and when I was younger, and I was like trying to pursue uh, women, or when I was like a kid, I was pursuing girls, it was like, it was just me, like, like hovering up, masking that attraction, it was me trying to fit the role. And that was the thing that was always really weird when I was in a relationship, like, and when I had a girlfriend, briefly, it would just not work out, because it just felt like I'm forcing myself to do this performatively. And then and we just become friends. Cause that's where we, we just wanted to be friends, you know? And I was like pretty cool with that, but you know, I didn't want people to know that. So I'd go around identifying as a trans being sleeping with a bunch of dudes. And <laughs> like, I would identify myself as a trans being, but I literally in that first span of transition 
where I call myself a trans man. I didn't sleep with one female. It was all men. And, um, and so, I mean, that's just kind of what internalized homophobia will do to a motherfucker. And like, um, well, it's so interesting that you, that you, you had internalized the, 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 the AGP so far that, that like, that the meta attraction became your sexuality that you were then mm -hmm. trying to, trying to cover up and, uh, internalize. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a whole inception level of, of dysphoria you were working with there. Yeah. It okay. is. And yeah, it very much is. I would say the difference is usually like HSTS, they kind of find a way to like, you know, minimize their dysphoria when they're younger. From my situation, it still was following me much older right. and was yep. pretty aggressive and created a lot of like delusionment for me. So there's a lot of delusion involved. I was identifying myself as a trans man. I thought it was working. Like, you know, I I don't think people were, were buying it um at the time. Um excuse me um and then so it it was um the thing that's really interesting too is that like as being saying like as i was saying like i cured my dysphoria i think curing my dysphoria was a lot easier than reversing my meta attraction would ever be i can't really picture how i would do that and um so when <clears throat> so i would just pretty much like be with guys and, and yeah and it's just like this inception level thing where you know that's that's my primary sexuality pretty much at that point the the, the way i've heard it described is with agp with gay gp it's like the, the primary attraction the heterosexuality gets um gets overpowered by the meta attraction so the meta attraction is now the more prominent one well um, it, it kind of sounds like um um that that you're that you're that you don't have, and I've learned these terms, so I'm going to, so aloe sexuality, right, being attraction to others, uh, external attraction. It sounds like you have entirely internalized, um, like, like your, your heterosexuality is entirely internalized. It's not, you're not attracted to women. You're only attracted to yourself as a woman. And therefore, any, any external attraction is therefore going to be towards males if that makes sense well, is that is that correct yeah it, it's kind of like that any attraction the auto attract the auto arousal that i have now is like codependent on the thought of being with a guy so it's just very typical of like a normal sexuality i imagine sex picture just something a little different than me than i've heard from some agps with with meta attraction is in the meta fantasy like the other person that doesn't have a face because it's more about the self. For me, I'm picturing a person. I picture the face and everything. Seeing a guy with, you know, strong jaw, chiseled looks, he's got nice muscles and stuff like, and I'm picturing him, but that's part of my auto fantasy, basically my, my meta attraction. Um, it's just become so deeply ingrained because I wanted so badly for so young just to be normal. So that was kind of like the normal that I created in in in, in my meta, basically. That that became my normal. The I've read on AGP subforums or subreddits that like the only thing that like a lot of gay GP can do if they want to become you know, not meta attracted, like just a normal heterosexual is you have to re-simulate um, heterosexual attraction, which like, I you don't never think, learned. 
I, I couldn't do it. Like, and that's right. the thing. I was never really that interested in, in women. And like, it's not like I'm, I'm not like disgusted by vagina. I, I guess some gay guys are supposed to be like, ew, gross. Like, and I'm not like, I mean, I've had sex with women and enjoyed it like about like two, three partners out of like 25 or something. Um, and um, it wasn't like I didn't like it or anything. Like I enjoyed it, but it just wasn't, it wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't really what I wanted. It was kind of more me doing it for her. Um, and um, that, yeah. So, so that's kind of the thing is like, I don't, really want to re-simulate a heterosexual attraction um and so like why would I like put in all the effort mm -hmm. to try to like train myself to be like heterosexual again which I mean it I never really got like it I never really got the hang of that when I was trying to you know mask my meta attraction and trying to pretend to not be attracted to um, thought of being with like my male friends so it's just not something that goes away you can cure your dysphoria a lot easier than than resimulate your um, heterosexuality if you're a gp mm -hmm. so um you so you transitioned around 2008 um mm -hmm. and you you went you went full tra do you want to talk about how uh so how i went how i yeah, went yeah, ultra. Yeah. yeah yeah okay so so there is another <laughs> part of also yeah. a, i don't know if i told you i'm also a retransitioner so i did detransition oh okay yeah yeah so we should talk so, about that as well okay yeah so that's kind of the next part of the story is i just kind of got to this point where i felt like i had failed transition i wasn't passing i was not i was having a hard time keeping a job my family was treating me like a black sheep and i missed them um, there's just a lot of things like not passing, being able, not being able to hold a job and being alienated from my family were some of the main ones. And so eventually I just stopped taking care of myself anyways. And I was just getting fat and then I stopped shaving, stopped taking my hormones. I just stopped taking them cold turkey, which like that probably did some bad things to my body, but you know, um, and I ended up very quickly in a very codependent relationship with someone. Now, um, that person, I told them pretty straight up, like my plan, because I was going to school, I had stopped pursuing a career as a as a, a bass player in a in a death core band, and I started pursuing computer science. And my plan was to become very wealthy, and I could get all of the surge that I want, and I would pass, and it would be like effortless at that point, but I just got to do the hard work while I'm detransitioned to get the money to do it get the degree and everything and so I was in this relationship with a with a trans woman who and then I was like detransed um and she I told her I wanted to do that retransition but she wanted me you know to stay her her man and it just got to the and when I started telling her hey you know like even though I haven't made it into this career like I'm you know I'm more and more tempted every day just to retransition on a dime and see what I can do because life is short. And that's where the relationship I just could tell wasn't going to work out. Um, it was kind of an abusive relationship. I have forgiven her for some of the physical and mental abuse that she put me through. We're, we are friends. Um, and I don't blame her for not wanting to be with me necessarily after retransition because, you know, I told her, but it was just me saying it's not the same as believing. She didn't think I was really going to do it. Um, 
I have forgiven her for some of the abuse and stuff. We're still friends, but yeah, that relationship got really abusive. And then during COVID, <clears throat> that was um, around the time that uh, she started cheating on me. So I would get in trouble for like wanting to go out or anything on my birthday and like the beginning of COVID in like March. And, and then she was out sleeping around. Um, and I was just being kind of used for finances and stuff. And so I thought that was really hurtful regardless of the fact, like, so she could have just left me over retransitioning instead of that. So I retransitioned at the end of that relationship. I had been, you know, a, a liberal lefty socialist um bernie supporter and everything and bernie losing in the primaries kind of radicalized me quite a bit um <clears throat> my partner was very much like a lib and i would want to like outdo her and i went very radically to the left one of my motivators to retransition was that this girl just didn't do shit to try to transition like kind of a passoid but with zero effort and i'm like i could try a little better you know i could try a little harder so and then um, I sounds like you had the, the you had the internet in your in your house, <laughs> yeah. like, like the social media trans dynamics. Anyway, sorry, go on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it, very much so. So then I when I um, when I retransitioned, I was very much also at the same time trying to move my politics more radically to the left because of my upset over what happened with Bernie Sanders. And, you know, just outdoing her. And um, I very much throughout my, um, had been like a liberal to just more of a far left during all that time. Um, I was very like into the purity politics, wanted to be very like principled and everything um, of an anarcho-communist. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't uh, stepping on anybody, that I wasn't, you know, being um, like, like, uh, I wanted, I was very like, you know how people wear all their like mental illnesses on their shoulder, like they'll put it on their bio and stuff. I didn't want to be the person to like hurt that person and push them over the edge. Okay. And that was kind of part of what drove me to, you know, cater so much to the extreme left and all the tankies I was hanging around and stuff. So when um, she cheated on me and we broke up, we lived together for a month. But then she's, you know, demanding a lot of me, uh, like as if I was still her partner. And I was like, I got to get out of here. I started, you know, sleeping at dates, houses and stuff. And um, I went into this polycule. And as you do. So, yeah. And so that was organized emotional abuse. And basically I came in and like, one I first saw went into a dysphoric depressive spiral right like the next day and like couldn't be like bothered by anyone and then the other two I got really kind of close to one of them and the other one was jealous so then the one that was going to be my girlfriend it took her about a week to start treating me like shit to cater to her girlfriend and they would just kind of bully me in the house. And I eventually just felt like kind of shitty, like living in their house where they don't, I'm not really getting along, right? And so I decided to go live in my car. So, and at the end of 2020, I was, you know, sleeping in my car. Um, I had have, I had a friend who would let me stay with her sometimes, um, but you know, it wasn't like a regular thing. 
up until New Year's Day um, on, in 2021, when I was sleeping outside in my car and it was freezing cold. And she called me and she's like, look, I had a friend who was homeless who died from hypothermia. I don't want it to happen to you. So I started staying with her. And it was that point, I six days into that, um, I had gotten robbed at gunpoint at work for twice in two months. Um, so the second time it happened, I took a few days off work and I was going to go back and I just couldn't bring myself to go back to that place. Um, <clears throat> so I was without a job for about two months. First time in my adult life, not having a job. You know, I just, I started being really creative. I did all this art. I, um, was doing a lot of my, like my tra activist content. I had, I was kind of a grifter at the time too. Like I just trying to get like some money and fame, I would post some very extreme tra videos. Um, <clears throat> I would do kind of like I, what I would do sex art or sex work um, online. And I was talking about meeting clients and stuff. And I'm glad I never really got into that because it was probably going to be really sketchy. But um, uh, so I started doing kind of like I'd cross my content uh, politically over with my porn content because I was the pro sex pro like body positivity stuff and I thought it was like a good idea to combine them um and like that just led me to so many traps but yeah there was some of the stuff that I got known for was like I went viral in December of 2020 uh, I was, it's kind of embarrassing. Like I, I, I actually, there's a clip of it in Dresco Spinny where um, I'm holding a gun. And basically I was saying that like, you know, turfs are going to have to like kill me and take this gun from my cold dead body. Um, I didn't like threaten to shoot anyone directly. Like, but you know, back then I was thinking just like, I'm doing this like in, in America, like waving gun around all drunk and shit is so stupid. Um, and I didn't really realize how terrifying that probably looks to a British person that doesn't see a lot of guns. Um, I'm out in Arizona where there's guns everywhere. So I didn't really think too much about it, but, um, and I had been watching all these like mobster movies. I even watching like Scarface and Casino and stuff like, because I was holed up in this, hotel because I thought the girl I had been couch surfing with I thought she had COVID so yeah that um I had been just like isolated watching these like gangster movies and then like I'm arguing with these um Radfums and one of them starts they start going after the fact that I have pictures posing with my gun all over my timeline and they're like this person's insane should not have a gun and that's when I was like you're just a bunch of cowards and I did this video that was called UK turfs are the biggest cowards on the face of the earth and that's where I had the gun and I was saying all this stuff about like out here you know you gotta have a gun or they'll kill you blah 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 I was like in pretty hood area um but yeah I didn't really think about how that's a very threatening posture to make a gun video like that and so that was the first time I was kind of put on the GC radar and I went a little bit viral and then um you know, I was just still like struggling to keep myself sheltered. I was like, um, cause I was wearing out my welcome at one point at that, at that place I was staying. Um, and I was just getting more angry 
more upset. And I finally went back to work after like two months of not working. I just felt like such a moocher and so lazy. Like I just had to do something. So I went back to doing the gig apps like Uber Eats and Lyft and DoorDash and all that stuff. And so something that got my attention, something that started pissing me off a lot as a trough was I noticed that I get treated a lot different as a customer versus when I'm picking up food for someone. As a customer, I come in, oh, hey, ma'am, how are you doing today? Thank you so much. Oh, you're just lovely, blah, blah, blah. I come in as a driver and it's like, what? What do you want? Are you serious? And then they just like, yeah. Or they'd be like, hey, bro, what's up, dog? Like just being like really kind of like hostile, like fake friendly, like kind of using like overtly familiar terms. And so then I was getting really mad about it and, and talking about this on Twitter on my old account. And that's when I got, basically I was locked inside of Popeye's because I was picking up the food. I was picking up two meals for someone for an order that I was delivering on, I believe it was on Uber Eats or DoorDash. I forget which one. Um, and they locked the door, even though I was inside. And I went to try to open the door locked in and I'm like, I'm standing there trying to get them to let me out. They're ignoring me. I find this is very common on the gig apps. They just kind of like leave you standing there. Just like, were they closing up or what was the situation? Yeah, it was kind of towards the end, but I, at the same time, it was just like, I don't know. The whole thing seemed really weird to me. The guy came out and he's like, thank you, sir. Let me get the door for you, sir. And then I was like, what are you fucking stupid? I have like boobs. Like, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And then I was leaving um, and I got to my car and I put the food back and I was like, I'm not going to leave like this. And I came back and I did this viral video where I pop off on him and I was yelling at him and making a scene. And the next thing you know, I'm on Steven Crowder um, and I've got like literally like a Nazi writing an article about me and everybody in Stormfront's like talking about me and shit. And I have like a Kiwi Farms thread and a lot of hate comments, like a lot of hate. And so I think I kind of needed that, honestly, because I was very delusional and I thought I was doing the good thing. Like I thought I was doing the right thing. Thought I was, you know, the, the more that I would just push myself to be this kind of like edgy trough, I felt like I was protecting other traws. It's like, I felt like I was protecting trans women who might not have this like much passing privilege as I even do. I felt like I was like protecting them and I was doing the right thing. So it was really hard for me to just like let go of. But some things started to pique me. So when I went around like BreadTube and on the left trying to get support for what happened to me, I felt like, you know, like this is like, getting treated badly while I'm just trying to work a job and I wanted people to support me people were just kind of sad and like watching my video not a lot of commentary or anything and and it just probably they probably felt like it looked really embarrassing how much of an asthmatic meltdown I had had but it wasn't even just like a month later that um <clears throat> there was the we spot incident happened where Darren Rogger if you're familiar went into the we spot in downtown Los Angeles and exposed himself to several women, including a, a young girl. Um, so that happened. And I decided to discourse on the matter with people. I wasn't sure. I was kind of like being, trying to be like more good face on this. You know, it seemed like a really big deal if it was true that a trans woman went and did that. At the same time, I wasn't fully trusting of the media and stuff because everything that happened to me and I just wanted to ask some questions. So. 
you know, I was asking people on the trial side and I was asking people on the GC and, and RADFEM side, like, you know, what do you think of the situation? What do we know? Was it actually someone exposed themselves? Was somebody in the changing room, like wrapped in a towel getting screamed at? Was there even a person? And so what I found was like the, the RADFEMs and GCs would just have a conversation with me and be rational. And then I noticed that the trials were just extremely bad based. But I didn't really say anything at first. It just kind of stuck with me. And I was still doing this, this like content. I was really mad about my Kiwi Farms thread. I felt like it was making me like a target of, of like violence and stuff. And I thought that them like putting all that information out there about me is going to get me hurt. I was like trying, I was doing the whole like shut Kiwi Farms down bullshit and like, you know, and they just, they just laughed at me. So eventually I kind of figured you can't beat them, destroy them. So I went on the website and I was going to troll them. I, I was going to troll them. I was going to try to get them to like self-report on being a bunch of like pedos or something. And, and quite frankly, like quite quickly, they just <clears throat> ignored my bait. Like they kind of saw it as bait. And then I just came forward to my thread and was talking to them. <laughs> uh, you know, and then uh, it was like a few days later. So I'd seen them talking about Chris Chan and I did some research on like who Chris Chan is. And, um, and I noticed that we had a mutual stalker, this guy named Jacob Sockness. So then I started reading about Jacob Sockness and that's where I caught like a rumor of the Chris Chan confession on the phone call to, to raping Barb, his mother. Um, I found that like the night before the leak had come out, somebody was trolling saying that Jacob Sockness had hacked Chris Chan's computer. So this is one of the, the people who, you know, participated in that, that um, gay op where uh, they got that confession from Chris. And then I was doing like, um, I was doing just like my, my deliveries, right? I was driving around doing deliveries. And that was, so then the next morning, my friend sends me a message and was like, hey, did you hear about the phone call with Chris Chan confessing to raping Bart? And I was like, wait, I heard something about that, but it wasn't a phone call that I had heard about. So that's when I knew like, you know, that was kind of an odd thing. And that came up in my research about Isabella Janky, I heard the recording. You hear this this creepy ass girl talking to this creepy ass man. He's talking about raping his mom, and she's encouraging him, telling him that it's okay for him to keep doing. Um, wait, I should backtrack a little bit. So the reason I became interested in this was because Chris Chan um, confessed to raping his mom. I had to respond to that, right? So like. I felt the need to respond to that because on in, on the left and in anarcho-communists, I was associated with all the tenor queers and everything. They were going to defend Christian's pronouns. So I figured people are going to expect me, the person who had a batshit meltdown about pronouns, to defend his pronouns. I will not. And I will make it a point that, like, and I didn't misgender Chris at first, but I told people, like, why are you going to make enemies with the people who do? This man raped his mom. Right. And so I quickly kind of became a heel from that. Like I started getting people mad. And then that's when the bombshell dropped about like who ILJ is because that phone call came out. Right. And there was something really creepy about like that interaction with the girl. And then when long story short, she got docs and she got a huge docs thread and that it was discovered that she draws CP. She's uh, she planned to get Chris to kill himself for a year she's just, just like this creepy like she talks about wanting to brags about wanting to kill animals says that she has tortured and murdered animals 
but the thing that stood out, she's like, um, is, is this, it's like, she had done something very possibly illegal. She had, you know, known about the rape was going on. She knew the incest was happening for about a month. And this is what, you know, this is from her logs, her talking about it and to her friends on discord. And then, um, they had gotten the recording of Christian confessing the rape. Instead of turning that into the police, they held on to the recording for three days while they planned to manipulate the audio to try to troll people. So I thought it was really fucked up that she participated in like, you know, enabling Christian's mother getting raped. Um, and so she was just, she was just trolling. She was trolling Chris Chan mm-hmm. and basically enabling the abuse that resulted from her trolling. Yes. Okay. And she was encouraging it and thought it was funny. And she thought this was just going to be this hilarious thing. She'd be the biggest troll on the internet. So Isabella Loretta Janky ended up getting a massive thread, becoming like a huge popular topic on the internet. And my channel blew up a lot. I ended up getting like 3000 subs from talking about that. Um, and so, so I kind of blew up and I had like a following on Kiwi farms as well. Like they thought it was pretty cool that I came in the site. I was very welcome, but you know, it's like getting noticed on the internet, a lot of drama ensued. Um, and there was a stream I was doing one time where I was outside and I was setting up to do a stream. And there was a couple of gay guys who had some kids they were watching. And one of them um, saw me setting up my recording. He was like trying to fight some random guy at the park. I, they must have been like high or something. I don't know what's wrong with these guys. But one of them said, oh, that bitch over there, I'm going to smack her. And I was like, you're going to what? And then I got on top of this park bench and I was like, I will bash your head in with the stick. Like, you're not going to do anything. Um, long story short, um, I called them uh, degenerates and and the F-slur. And I felt like embarrassed to show that on camera. This guy threatened to pull a gun on me. And I'm like, you're trying to pull a gun in front of these kids. You're going to traumatize them for life. And then I backed up because I had a gun on me. And I'm just like, look. People who really shoot you, they're not going to say anything, man. They're not going to warn you. And and I walked away. And so he came up to me and apologized to me. And the way he apologized was really gross. He came up, like, touching my hair and all this shit and talking about how sexy I am and stuff. And then, like, I was walking by them when I was doing my stream. And he came up to me. And in front of the kids they were watching, he started talking about how I should get implants, start talking about my titties, saying that I should make an OnlyFans, that I could be an escort selling my booty like him. And I'm just like live on stream, like this is so awful and like bad, obviously, but that's this guy, right? Well, I got blamed for their behavior. And then there was basically the way people described it on my thread and this one around that, like I talked to kids about sex work, which is bullshit. I didn't choose for those guys to come up to me touching my hair, telling me I should be a prostitute like them. That's them. But my, pra- my my thread praised them, which is why I know now that like some of the posters on Kiwi Farms are just disingenuous. They're getting praised and called based for like, I don't know, like making me uncomfortable. But anyways, like that kind of time. Um, And then I pursued, I proceeded to like what ended up happening when I got canceled over that, I was really upset. You know, like I hate it how gay males and 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 
trans women go around, it'd be so fascistic and disgusting. And then I get blamed for the shit. So I went on and I said, and this was mainly aimed at, you know, gays and trans, but I put the whole acronym LGBT for, you know, just not really thinking of that nuance. And I said, if the LGBT wants to be treated with respect, we can't treat society like a strip club. And um, and said that I'm just done with all the porn and perverts and shit. And I'd been done doing sex work for a long time, but I was just at that point, hey, it's like, I'm fed up with this. And I posted that on Twitter because um, I was just like being upset over getting canceled over what those fucking gay guys did. And that I got mega canceled for that. <laughs> and that, that tweet blew up. I had like Katie Montgomery, Doe, Demon Mama. Um, there's a couple other people commenting and like just ratioing the shit out of me. Um, and that was kind of when I, I even got like a, a direct message on Twitter saying that I was like, that you're said you're excommunicated from the trans community and the left. Like I got like an official DM excommunicating me. Um, and then I just, I just, for no, so then there's like no, no reason for me to be PC and stuff after that. I stopped, you know, giving people undeserved pronouns. I started just, you know, being very critical of how the trans left and tras enable predators and started just becoming very critical to the point of referring to it as a cult. And I had pretty much gone out of the cult and that led me eventually to commenting on Teffels, my, my, everything kind of blew up with that too, because Teffels responded to me. And then um, I ended up getting interviewed in Redux um, about just having my thread, because his thing is like, Teffels has this thread that, you know, it was trying to shut down like a bunch of the internet and sanitize the whole internet just to like cover up the grooming. <clears throat> like, I don't necessarily have the most savory thread. I'm not proud of everything that they've reported on me in there, but I'll own up to it. She, on her hand, wanted to erase humor from the internet to cover her tracks. So, you know, I spoke out against Keffels. I spoke out in defense of Kiwi Farms. I, um, you know, I continued to get a lot of hate from trans women over my views which that really hurt, you know, it's like, um, I'm attracted to trans women and men. That's my preference. That's what I like, um, pre-op trans women and men. And so to have all these trans women just hating on me, it kind of hurt my feelings a little bit more because it's like some of them I think are kind of cute and then they're just like <laughs> shitting on me and it's like, ouch, you know? Um, and, um, and then it was like, uh, if it got to this point where, Interacting with trans women, I I kind of start to like really hate trans women a lot, and interacting with them would just boil up my dysphoria a lot, you know, and I have to really limit myself. Um, we had some HSTS join my Discord server that then, you know, they bullied me about being bisexual, said that I'm just you know fetishizing the the experience of gay men, and I'm just like that I shouldn't be allowed to like you know I should be like, I don't know what they wanted me to do. Like, they're just saying, like, it's bad that I, I I say that I am into men and I'm not really bi. I'm actually just straight. And we got into this whole argument and they left the server and I just hated HSTS after that. And so I spread a lot of, like, really anti-HSTS pro-AGP memes. I got huge dunk on, on Fleming's. He's 
got him all ass mad one day and he blocked me that was fun and it was fun you know i was like memeing this stuff like like agp or the true trans uh kind of stuff and it's, it's a joke but at the same time like i didn't realize like as hurt as i was by certain hsts's those same hsts's were, were kind of hurt by my jokes so we had you know we had a truce we had a meeting and conversated about this some of the hsts that were bullying me before that made me kind of spiral into this hateful tangent and we worked it out like we realized that i realized that my jokes were having an effect on them and then they realized that it's not good for them to like punch down at me for and be mean to me for being bi um and we made peace um but it was around right before that that i was it was during the holidays i was having these extremely dysphoric cycles and there was one night, it was on New Year's Eve, I was really, really dysphoric. To the point I was just a sobbing mess. I couldn't enjoy my New Year's Eve at all. And I went into the transmaxing server on Discord. Just, and I just started self-deprecating, like the worst place to do it, too. And I'm just shitting on myself. It was really embarrassing. So and that's when I, you know, told my Kiwi Farms thread off, basically, over the rumor they had put around for a year and um decided not to go on my thread anymore and i said i'm leaving the internet i was really upset with myself having that meltdown i was really sick of reading into hate comments i'm still not reading into hate comments you're posting hate comments about me i'm probably not reading them so you know um i might just read like the first part that seems like hateful or over over the top critical and just move on um and i took a break from the internet but it was a little bit before that I had noticed something was the people in my server, we have a trans woman who's not dysphoric, has never been dysphoric. She's been transitioned successfully, very passing for about 27 years. And she says things that just trigger the dysphorics in my server so much. And the thing is that she's not even trying to. They get so upset with her not having dysphoria, being trans, being so passing, not uh, you know, claiming not to be AGP, but also attracted to women. Um, and it, it just gets people really mad. They want her to like admit to being AGP and then they want her to admit that dysphoria is real and she's not taking it seriously and they're just spiraling. She just gets them going, right? And I just thought it was so funny. And I'm just like, God, you know, like starting to make me just want to like cure my dysphoria so I can like join in on the fun and... <laughs> And so it was kind of like, like a meme at first. I, I I said it to like to troll a little bit, but it's the funny thing is like when I said it, I cured my dysphoria. It was like right away, like I knew I actually had. So it was kind of like I was posting a meme the very first time I did it. But it was like, but wait, yeah, like I really did. Like this isn't actually a joke. Like I don't care about those feelings anymore. I don't want to have those spirals anymore. Like I'm gonna shut them down before they start. These, these these spikes and troughs of dysphoria that I was having, my life being all unstable. So I finally kind of like reassessed the tools I had used to deal with like a lot of the transphobia and hate that I had received, a lot of the hate just from going viral. Um, you know, I went after Keffels for being a groomer. I defended like the detransers, like I was very defensive shapeshifter and Casey Miller. The stuff people say to them is just, is just hideous. Like their comments are just awful and they don't deserve that kind of hate. So standing up for them, you know, some of the things like I 
uh, learned, like the, the, the serenity prayer, um, you know, uh, uh, knowing like they're being grateful and knowing like what you can change, what you can't change, having the, the ability to know the difference. It should just all be good after that. Like if you go to that serenity prayer, um, a little bit of just kind of like seeing it as, as like embarrassing. Like, why would you even admit if you had it? Like fake it till you make it kind of thing. A little bit of that. And it really took me pretty quick to just be like, you know, like I'd get upset. Another thing I do is I just break it down. So I get upset over something like getting clocked and I think about it, like I'll break it down. Like, why does that bother me? You know? And it's usually, it's like, cause I had an expectation from the other person, right? So then I realized like, it's not right for me to have that expectation. And instead of getting mad and upset about it, I'll try to do a little better next time. Um, and not ha just having that ability to then shut it down before I start getting into that spiral, it's, it becomes very easy. And I don't really have to even think about it. It's just once I start getting something that would trigger dysphoria before, it's, nope, it's this. I'm like, I need to shave. Okay. And like, that's it. It's just, it'll look better if I shave, right? Like, it's not anything for me to get into this, like, oh, I'm so distraught. I'm, I'm so hideous, blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm not even a real tranny. I'm just this fucking weird guy with AGP. Like, instead of that, stopping and being like okay well maybe i need a shave or maybe if you know i get the lip fillers it'll make my face look a little better and then i go and do it because i want to and it's just kind of like doing it because i want to i shouldn't have to prove that i'm dying of dysphoria just to be myself because this is me you know i think she's going to be allowed to be myself I think, on, of, I think one of the things that could be hard for people to, to parse out, and I, I sometimes struggle with this too, is just because I think it might surprise some some viewers or listeners when you say that you've cured your dysphoria, and yet you, you still prefer to, to present in a, in a very feminine way. So I think mm -hmm. it could be hard for people to understand, like, where does, what what do we attribute to AGP or, or homosexual gender nonconformity, at what point does it become gender dysphoria? So what, what parts, because it sounds like you, you're still... AGP, uh -huh. but, but aren't dysphoric. So how would you sort of articulate the difference between those two things? Um, like having AGP and having dysphoria are, are two different things. The AGP, um, AGPs typically are more dysphoric um, than HSTS are typically like, and then the ones that are very delusional are very dysphoric and can be kind of dangerous in that regard. Um, uh, dysphoria is more of like the 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 pain and loss feeling of not being able to have the appearance and not being the opposite sex, right? So being AGP, that then you know can manifest into dysphoria, like because you're not. It's like you realize that you're not. You get euphoric thinking of yourself as a girl, thinking of yourself as a woman. Once you, something wakes you up and you realize, well, no, I'm actually a dude. It then you get that dis that disappointment, 
right? So it's like that disappointment, that longing, that sadness, and 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 like kind of like a wallowing spiral is what I would say dysphoria was. So I'd ha I had AGP my whole life, but when I was little, I would go through dysphoric spirals every day. It would be like, I would be all euphoric thinking like, I'm gonna grow up, I'm gonna be a girl one day. There's all, all these magical things I'm reading about on the internet. And then realizing I'm not very feminine, I was a boy and all this stuff. And I'm just like, uh, I get sad, right? I get the gender sobs. So, um, so what helped so, with that? You said because you said you were able to address the dysphoria. So, what what helped you to? Was it just a self acceptance that that you are a male with AGP yeah. and you've just learned to embrace that about yourself, or what? Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of it. Is I had been embracing it for a long time prior. I think that really helps. Um, just accepting myself, and I think um, I I think like not having that, not setting myself up for that disappointment, you know, like just being realistic. And um, a lot of times I find it's a very like social thing. A lot of the trans activists try really hard to trigger dysphoria in me and I would let them and they get to say how I feel basically. Um, and by, you know, not showing that weakness or just getting like working on it, working on kind of controlling that and everything. I was already getting a lot of leeway. The things they were saying was not having the same effect on me. Um, I would say once it got to the point that I found, you know, their dysphoric meltdowns and their kind of like what they demand due to their dysphoria, what they demand of others to compensate for their dysphoria. I mean, it just became very like laughable and, and it's like mock worthy. And I was around that time it's like it's almost like even like that humor that edgy humor of like making fun of the concept of dysphoria like this is such fake bullshit that kind of pushed me over the edge to where it's like I just don't have that problem and so I say this you know I say dysphoria isn't real I understand that people suffer real dysphoria I did myself up until recent but thinking of it like it's not like a real impenetrable thing and think of it like it's actually these other underlying problems that we have, which then get identified as dysphoria. So AGP can turn into dysphoria, right? You can gain dysphoria from AGP, but you can definitely manage or eliminate it. Um, like HSTS typically learn to do a little younger. So typically HSTS have dysphoria when they're younger, they adapt and learn to go through life as gay boys and, and some of them don't do so as well and end up transitioning. AGP um, generally, uh, uh, it's the same thing. You have dysphoria, but it just doesn't, they don't manage it younger. It sticks with them longer in life um, because naturally, typically not as feminine. And um, so I think it's kind of like that disappointment. A lot of it is what dysphoria is. Is, is having these expectations and then being let down. You know, you want to see, you have this mental image of yourself as your target sucks, and then you see yourself in the mirror and you're not. And it can be kind of, uh, you know, it can kind of be upsetting. It can be a big letdown. Um, but instead of just, you know, instead what I do is I'm just very like more self-aware of who I am, what I look like, what my limitations are. And if there's something I don't like that I can change, you know, instead of complaining about it, I just change it. So, so it it's, sounds, it's, 
It's doing, sorry, it's doing transition because I want to. Not because I've got to beg, because I'm suffering and dying and I'm going to die without it. And I don't have to tell people I'm going to commit suicide or anything like that if they don't give me what I want. Like, it's doing it because I want to. And that should be fine. There shouldn't be someone telling me I can't. I should be allowed to do it. I think, honestly, I don't see why. And if and if the complaint is that, like, taxpayers would then pay for it, I don't understand why, like, cosmetic surgeries and stuff are reserved for the rich anyways. If you in Brazil, you can be a common person, get surgery, um, and it's subsidized. And I think it really should be for anyone. Like, why should beauty be gatekept by the rich elite? So it sounds like from, from your perspective <clears> – <throat> Like there's the there's the gender incongruence and that can exist for whatever reason, but the dysphoria. But for you, kind of in your definition, it sounds like dysphoria is just the very the the the, the mental turmoil mm -hmm. that the incongruence can cause. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so it is a very yeah. like mental thing, and I think yeah. it is kind of a uh, uh, what is the word iatrogenic iatrogenic illness. Mm -hmm. So someone tells you you have dysphoria and these symptoms you have, it could be depression, it could be, you know, the, the gender incongruence, it could be AGP related, HSTS related, um, it could be all these things. You could have, you know, autism and it leads you to thinking that you're dysphoric and you become, it's like a fixation, right? So you get fixated on your dysphoria and now you have it. Now it's this thing that's impenetrable. You can't get rid of it. So if you can go back and figure out those things that you identified as dysphoria and work on those things. That's, that's what I think is the solution to dysphoria is just basically doing the opposite. Instead of like indulging in this fixation, you're, you're doing the opposite. You're breaking it down into other things, dealing with the problems, getting them out of your way. Um, you're being, you know, less self-centered. You're thinking less about the self, more about people around you rising to the occasion and, you know, putting other people in front of you and putting like a higher cause above yourself. I've seen other people talk about curing dysphoria, um, saying that religion helps. For me, work helps because I'm very much like about work. And so for me, just working like that really was like a higher cause. Like my workers, I run a restaurant, I'm general manager and I have my workers and um, I, you know, I care a lot about them. And so putting them first and, you know, putting the business first, like that was very like helpful distraction. And I think that's part of it too, is like, we have to have these healthy relationships with people that aren't about, you know, mending our suffering and, and, and them, you know, affirming anything to us. We have to have these normal interactions where we're putting somebody else above ourselves. like that. I think really is the opposite of dysphoria and when you do that you're kind of you're just whittling it down to where it's this thing in the back of your head that you're like you know i don't need to feel like that i don't need to let you know like yeah sure i wish i had a vagina but i probably never will and so it's just time to accept it and move on so um, it, it sounds very much like you um uh and i i think we've obviously come to this conclusion as well is that is that the the, the narrative that we're fed like trans ideology it was basically what caused and contributed significantly to your gender dysphoria. Like, so, so the, 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 you know, the, 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 you know, as we, as we understand of queer theory is basically, you know, 
purported to be for our service, but it's kind of like, it sounds like that's what's given you such a, um, such a rough go of your, you know, gender incongruence or your AGP is, is the, the, um, uh, like kind of having this unrealistic expectation mm -hmm. of those around you and reality itself. And that's essentially what's caused you so much, so much turmoil. Yeah, you have this expectation that you're going to look in the mirror and see your target sucks and you don't. And it's really disappointing. People, you know, point out that you're clockable and this and that. Like, it's very disappointing. You're hoping that they're going to say that you look really good. And um, I think that's part of it for me also, too. Just I think it's really good that you do this program, too. I think it's very good that there's just kind of like raw, uncut version of what it's like for us. Um, part of it too, I just felt very alienated um, when I first transitioned, when I detransitioned and retransitioning, it was like, um, I was always kind of like a reject socially, like in high school, I was just like goth kid and I wear makeup and it was kind of a coat, like we wear makeup and dresses, but you know, we're cool, we're like edgy, we're like rock stars, right? But you know, I got to wear girl clothes and not get made fun of as much. But I still get bullied by the jocks, right? And then the jocks all came out as gay and they were all the popular drag queens at the club. And I was just the weird one in 2008. I was like the one tranny there and all the drag queens were all popular and cool. And I was like the weird one who's taking the actual HRT and stuff. Um, and then it became like, I'm the AGP as I moved into, you know, like Blanchardism, it's like, I'm the AGP just getting bullied by all the like cool, pretty popular kids. And I really hate how like in mainstream gay and trans, it's like you only get this representation that's super like polished and perfect looking. That's why you have some of these like rich and famous trans men who were mocking Casey Miller for going bald. Um, you know, and it's just really disgusting. You have these people who have so much access to cosmetics and surgery, and they're definitely part of the elite shitting on normal people who, you know, we might not necessarily have the money for search. We might not necessarily have, you know, the perfect transition because we're poor, right? Like, and so then we got shit on for that. And so I think it's kind of like this hierarchy of, of validation that a lot of us get trapped into that's like kind of more of the social aspect is that you have to pass a certain way to be valid and so a lot of people just can't get out of that rut of chasing that validation and you'll see this on like the AGP side with a lot of depression and coping you'll see this with a lot of HSTS coping by you know throwing AGPs under the bus and constantly having to talk about how how perfect they are to try to get people to reaffirm that to them. It's like uh, the dysphoria, I think a lot of it has to do with like, not only like what you see in yourself that's disappointing, but then just kind of how other people are receiving you and, and where you're put on this hierarchy. So again, seeing all that for what it is, this big giant facade, it was, it's just really easy for me, like, oh, dysphoric feelings. Um, not my right. fault that these people got lucky and got rich and they have all the cosmetics and surgery they could want um it's not it's not my fault i did everything i could yeah i can relate to what you're saying you know as far as the ideology creating some of the turmoil because i think when you understand what queer theory was originally meant to do it's meant to be destabilizing it's meant to destabilize our society and when, when we take that on as as a psychology to explain ourselves 
I do think it leaves us in a state of turmoil. I, I think it's really hard to be grounded as an individual if you really base your identity on those theories because the yeah. theories are meant to be destabilizing. Yeah, and they really are. I mean, it's like up is down, blue is brown. Like they just, they really kind of like queer theory really kind of just like takes the language apart to where the words lose their meaning, I feel like. And I can see what your point that, you know, it can create an unrealistic standard or it's something that we're trying to achieve that that we can never really achieve. And if, if we feel like I can never be happy unless I achieve that, then where do we land, right? And in, 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 we just could potentially spend the rest of our lives feeling dissatisfied with ourselves and our lives. Mm -hmm. And you'll have people telling you that you need to bow down and like they have more of the... You know, they've had a more successful transition. You are to bow to them and their opinions are more valid and it doesn't really matter like what they even like how much knowledge they have is just about passing and that makes that person better than you and they have more of a say in things than you. And it's like a big popularity contest. It's really gross. It's really obscene. It's like no wonder people like I, I, I see that kind of stuff, that kind of behavior. And it's like no wonder people think we're crazy and want nothing to do with us. Well, thank you for coming on and telling us your story, Laura. This has been uh, really fascinating. I didn't, I wasn't aware of your kind of, uh, I was aware of you as like kind of the, um, uh, the, 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 you know, for lack of a better term, like self-aware AGP who's willing to get into this stuff and talk about it um, mm -hmm. and being critical of the ideology. I wasn't aware really of your, of your passive, like the, that the whole Kiri farms and the, the kind of live stream notoriety uh, stuff. Yeah. So that's all, <laughs> that's all been, been uh, interesting uh, to hear about. So thank you for telling well, it. Thank all. you. And if I, can I add one, one more thing is just that, um, um, what was it? it was, there was one other thing I was going to say. Yeah. Uh was that um uh shoot, shoot, I just had it and I just lost it and it might come right back to me, but um oh um oh okay, yeah. About like where I am with Blanchard and everything. Um, you know, I think of it as a good starting point. I don't think that it has all the answers. I think that it is a good starting point. I don't think it's necessarily like a bunk typology as some people suggest. But I do think that like bisexuality is real. And I think that um, gay GP is a real thing. That's just not something you can just willy nilly reverse. Um, and so I stand by that statement. I think that when people shame my meta attraction, that, that is homophobic on their part. I think that when people try to be biphobic to me, that is also, you know, completely bigoted. Um, you know, the reasons why I have meta attraction um, you know, and why I um, am bisexual is because of my AGP. And I don't think there's anything wrong with me being bisexual or or having a meta attraction to to uh, to males. And and that's just kind of like permeated. So yeah. I just think that it's um, even though like I don't think Blanchard got it wrong necessarily, but I do think that like some AGPs like the meta is real. Like the meta is just as real as a real sexuality as, as a, as a non-meta attraction. And um, I think, I wish people understood that about like when I talk about gay GP and they come in and they're commenting like, no, you're just a heterosexual. And it's like, if it was that simple, then 
Like I wouldn't have had all these issues in life. Like it would have been so easy. I would have just like turned it off. I would just turned off the meta attraction and just dated women, you know, and just been normal. Um, but you know, it's like, I was able to kind of do that with dysphoria. So I think that's kind of the takeaway is that like, you can cure your dysphoria, but you can't change your sexual orientation and what you're attracted to. And why would you want to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. We, we obviously talk about uh, uh, the different causes, different pathways to gender dysphoria. So we talk a lot about it on here, but we've also been talking about how there's uh, different pathways to homosexuality and mm-hmm. uh, uh, potentially. And just because, you know, you weren't born with an attraction, you know, with, with you know, like it doesn't mean that your your attraction to men is any less real than somebody whose dysphoria or whose exactly. attraction wasn't born of, uh, of uh, yeah. And the more more people coming to the table who are self-aware, I I agree with you that typology isn't perfect, but it is real. But I think it it doesn't help matters for everyone to just deny that it that it's real at all, because Mm -hmm. how do we advance the research if everyone's just kind of fooling themselves and fooling everyone else? Right. I mean, the more that we're willing to sort of dig into and be honest about what we've experienced, the more we're all going to understand each other. Yep. And I, I think that it's kind of just like with with um with AGPs, I think that you first of all, I think most trans women are AGP. So like I, I think, think the, the data kind of bears that. Yeah, well, yeah. Most, mo- vast majority of these trannies on Twitter you see throwing AGPs under the bus or AGPs themselves. Yeah, they're just um, not willing to accept it. Yeah. Yeah. It could be something very young when they had some kind of like an auto arousal that they're in denial or have masked with meta, but it's a very real thing. Um, well, I think, I think a lot of their denial has to do with the fact that it's kind of cartoonized, like it's tur- like mm-hmm. by both the rat- the trans activists and the feminists, it's it's kind of vilified oh, yeah. and it's like a cartoon oh, yeah. villain. And so, so it's easy for somebody to go, oh, I'm not that, you know? Oh, yeah. You'd be surprised, like, the kind of hateful things I get said to me from trans activists who are supposedly the pro-trans ones because I, you know, own my AGP. Um, Another thing, I just think that it it really is like a real attraction. And, um, you know, bisexuality is real and all, and I identify as bisexual, but, like, I'm not really into women. I've just been with women and don't think women are gross. I think that's kind of, you know... I, I, I don't know if gay men are really that grossed out by a vagina or if they're just being kind of misogynistic when they make comments about how disgusting they think vaginas are. I don't know. But it just it's it just feels kind of silly to me to go around and say I'm bisexual. I just prefer penis, like absolutely. You know, <laughs> and so it feels weird for me to go around saying that I'm heterosexual when my attraction is gay. So I mean it's like I would have somebody if everybody was, you know, believing the like most simplistic version of Blanchard, they'd be like, oh, that's and that's what they've gotten on me before is like calling myself gay or saying that I, I'm bi with a penis preference. They're like, oh, you're misappropriating homosexuality and all this stuff. And it's like, no, this is just this is just me. Like, yeah. I, I can't change it. So I think yeah. it definitely is like a form of bigotry that that we face when where, you know, when gay GPs are stigmatized, but even if I was still in the women, like, I don't think that, you know, I don't think it's necessarily like creepy or bad that like an AGP um, has like an, you know, they have 
autogynephilia, but are still into women, like that's more common than my case. <laughs> and I don't think that's bad. I think, you know, it's some self-awareness. I think if all AGPs were given a little more self-awareness early on, it could save us a lot of trouble. I think that's a big part of it. Yep, yep. And that's something we want to do here, you know, is <clears throat> if people know this stuff, it's, yeah, it saves you a lot of, a lot of uh, heartache and trouble down the road if you actually know where your, where your motivations are, are coming from. So, so thank you again for, for talking about it. Thank you. It's great to meet you, Laura. This is really nice to meet you, Aaron. Thank you. Take care. Thank you both. And have a great day. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Transparency Podcast. If you enjoy our content, please help out our algorithm by hitting like or subscribe. If you'd like to make a donation, follow the link to our PayPal account. On behalf of the Gender Dysphoria Alliance, thanks for your support. <laughs>